a longer psalm tonight, Psalm twenty, Psalm sixty-six, and um, I want to tell you it is really hard to hold this microphone and to write on the board at the same time. But we're going to try to do that some tonight. And let's just start at the heading. For the choir director, a song, a song. Now what catches your attention about that right off? Yes, 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 no, yes, there is no name. David has been mentioned in every single psalm (coughs) since Psalm 51. Psalm 51 to Psalm 65, David's name is mentioned in all the headings, but he is not mentioned here. He is not mentioned here in Psalm 66. For the choir director, a psalm, a song, a psalm. When we get to 67, we will find the same thing. Psalm 67. For the choir director with stringed instruments, a psalm, a song. But no mention of David in that passage. Now, verses 1 through 12 of Psalm 66... 66, 1 through 12 is more of a community thanksgiving. The the psalm seems to take on the feel of a thanksgiving psalm. Verses 1 through 12 is more for the community. Verses 13 through 20 is more for the individual. In the first 13 verses, we're going to find first-person plural terms used quite frequently. First-person plural terms constantly in verses 1 through 12. But then in verses 13 through 20, we're going to find first-person singular terms used. We're going to find I, my, uh, I believe that I is found eight times from verses 13 through 20, and my is found nine times. And so, I want, think about that. We'll, we'll try to come back to that. What, what does all of that indicate? But, but let's look at verses 1 through 12. We will break this up a little bit later, but let's just read that right now. Shout joyfully to God all the earth. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Because of the greatness of your power, your enemies will give feigned obedience to you. All the earth will worship you and will sing praises to you. They will sing praises to your name. Selah. Come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. Silah. 
Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad, who keeps us in life and does not allow our foot to slip. For you have tried us, O God, you have refined us as silver is refined. You have brought us into the net. You laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. You made men ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water. You brought us out into a place of abundance. Now, we also want as we go through, and this will be something we'll probably do in the latter half. But when we get to the latter half, we want to see some similarities between that community Thanksgiving and the individual Thanksgiving. But shout joyfully to the Lord. I want to tell you one thing that is easy to overlook. And I am blessed to have a lot of books on the Psalms that help call my attention to things I should have been careful enough to recognize already but sometimes didn't. The same word that opened Psalm 66 was found in the last verse, in the last line of Psalm 65. In Psalm 65, at the end of the passage, we see they shout for joy. Yes, they sing. So Psalm 65 ends with shouting joyfully. And Psalm 66 opens the same way. Shout joyfully to God, all the earth. Obviously, there is a purpose of the Psalms being arranged the way they are. Now, this particular word for shout, shout for joy, it can be used of an army going into battle. You see it used about a seven to nine times in Joshua chapter 6 when they shouted and the walls fell flat and they, they went up and took the city of Jericho. You see it for an army going to battle. You see it when someone becomes king like Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 10 verse 24. And you see it when people lay the foundation of the temple in Ezra 3 verses 11 through 13. In all those cases, people shouted joyfully. Here, they are shouting joyfully to God. God is the one to whom they shout joyfully. And notice who are the ones, who are the ones in this passage who are to be shouting joyfully? All the earth. All the earth. All the earth. This is a summons to all people to serve the Lord. Just like we had in Psalm 55, there is a universal emphasis in Psalm 66. Psalm 65, look back at verse 5. Psalm 65, 5. By awesome deeds you answer us in righteousness, O God of our salvation. You who are the trust of all the ends of the earth... And on the furthest sea, verse 8, they who dwell in the ends of the earth stand in awe of you. God's authority, God's power is demonstrated in all the earth. You see it here in Psalm 66 in verse 1, in verse 4. All the earth will worship you. 
and will sing praises to you. The Bible tells us in verse 2, Sing, sing the glory of His name. Make His praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your works. Now this particular word awesome is also going to be used in verse 5. Who is awesome in his deeds toward the Son of Man? I don't know. <laughs> I'm not as up on young people's vernacular now. Uh, but the word awesome was a vastly overused word just a few years ago. I don't know. Is it still for some of you younger people? You don't know. Okay. Um, but awesome is a great word, but it was overused. And just looking at the, the way it's spelled, what does the idea, what's the idea of the word? Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the emphasis on the fact that he inspires all. You just look on in dazed wonder. And that is how we do at the works of God. How awesome are your works. And his works demonstrate, as verse 3 says, the greatness of his power. When we see a sight on earth that moves us, a beautiful sunset, or even coming here tonight, a beautiful moon, you see a sunset, you see a moon, you see a sunrise, you see Niagara Falls, you see something that is overwhelming when you think about God's power demonstrated creation and you think about how much greater the creator is than what he has made we should be filled with awe awe at his power and his power and verse 3 may be translated differently in some of your versions but his power leads people to the New American Standard says feign obedience now that word was used 25 times in the Old Testament. And that word sometimes has the significance of lying or deception. And that's why you get this idea of feigned obedience. It is difficult sometimes to uh, define. And some writers argue that's not the best translation. There are other times that the word just carries the idea of being cut down to size so that we've lost all arrogance and we are humbling ourselves before God. Maybe that is the idea. Because the greatness of God's power, all his foes will be brought down to humility before him. And in verse 4, all the earth will worship you and sing your praises. They will sing praises to your name. Silah. All the earth will do this. Now, when is that going to happen? That all the earth will do this. One writer said this. 
This is an expression about praise that says more about God than it does about man. It is not pointing to the virtue of human behavior. It is pointing to the fact that there is one true God in all the earth. The point is, this fact that all nations and all peoples praise him isn't so much a statement that all people are going to recognize what's right and do what's right as much as it is a statement that there is one God in all the earth. (coughs) Now, I'm sure there's more there we should stress. But in verses 5 through 7, come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds toward the sons of men. Not just to Israel, but to the sons of men. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through on foot. Now when you read those words, he turned the sea to dry land. What event do you think that's talking about? Israel's leaving leaving Egypt. Okay, Israel leaving the land of Egypt. The Exodus. They leave, Moses comes to the edge of the water, holds out his staff, and God sends a strong wind that divides the waters and they cross over on dry ground. Now, where is another incident in the Bible like that? Actually, there's a couple, but one that would have uh, happened by this time, David? crossing the Jordan going into the land of Canaan just before they conquered the land. Okay, Joshua 3 and 4 when they're going to the land of Canaan and the sea divides and they cross over on dry land. And there are some passages uh, like Psalm 114 that kind of merge those two together in a way they both may be included. But he turned the sea into dry land. Now, we hear a lot today about pronouns. Look at these pronouns in verse 6. They passed through the river on foot. There let us rejoice in him. Do you notice one time he uses third person plural they? Then he uses first person plural us. In a very real sense, the people who, to whom this psalm is written did not cross that Red Sea. But in a sense, as they participated in the Exodus, they were all present there. And we see what God did for our forefathers, what God did for them. And therefore let us rejoice. He rules by his might forever. His eyes keep watch on the nations. Let not the rebellious exalt themselves. The the rebellious must learn humility by looking at God's awesome deeds and God's mighty works. God rules all. God keeps his eye on the nations and they are not to exalt themselves. Okay, we've looked at the first seven verses, and I know there's much more that could be said. But what (coughs) questions do you have? 
Or what ideas do you have, David? Uh, you talk about the word awesome, and I know a guy that uses that a lot. Okay. Uh, he's younger than me, but that doesn't make him young. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but everything's awesome. And yeah. I really try to reserve that yeah. for God and his works, his creation. Uh, now, I'm not trying to say he's wrong and sinning, but, but I think we run the risk of using it too much. Well, And it does seem like in the scriptures, it is reserved for God and his actions and activities in uh -huh. his work. Yeah, I haven't checked if that's true 100% of the time. But it is a lot. But it is true most of the time. Yeah. It is true most of the time. And I think you make a good point. Uh, it's not like it's necessarily a sin. But if everything is awesome, what do you call something that really is awesome? And I think that's the point. If everything is just so amazing then when you get to something that really is, maybe uh, we put it on the same level. And, and I think what you're trying to say is very good that we must reserve some sense of awe for God, for who He is, for what He's done. I think that is a very important thing. John? Uh, in verse... Three, that uh, statement where the enemies will feign obedience. Yes. Many of the other translations simply say your enemies will cringe before you. Yes, cringe. It was used in Psalm 18, verse 44, as David was talking about his foes. God has exalted him to a high portion. He is king, and somehow even his enemies will cringe uh, will uh, feign obedience but it's the same word that is under discussion in that passage Bob uh, it's along the same lines but I think uh, definitely adding me to it the idea of this, uh, this false or feigned or deceitful uh, potential for the use of that word there it is not for God's word or will it is for his great power that they are trembling. Mm -hmm. That helps me understand it. They're, okay. They're not, in no way uh, devoted to him, but he is just so awesome and powerful. You can, they can't help themselves, but to to uh, lower themselves. Yes. Even those who hate him, they're overwhelmed by his power and presence. Yes. Okay. Good thoughts. Anything else? In verses 8 through 12, God has blessed his people. He's put them through trials, but he has brought them out of the trials too. Now look at verse, in verse 8. Bless our God, O peoples, and sound his praise abroad. And I believe... We talked last time about this phrase, blessing God. Uh, it is a way to speak of, it's, it's sometimes used parallelism with give thanks. But it's a way to speak of praising him. Bless our God, 
O peoples. Sound his praise. In verse 9, who keeps us in life. He keeps us in life in, in all our ways, in all our coming and going. He keeps us in life and does not allow our foot to slip. In Psalm 34, excuse me, Psalm 37, verse 24, Psalm 37, verse 24, when, uh, let me read 23 and 24. The steps of a man are established by the Lord. He delights in his way. When he falls, he will not be hurled headlong because the Lord is the one who holds his hand. So the steps of a man are established. When he falls, he's not going to be cast headlong. So God keeps us in life. He does not allow our foot to slip. You've tried us. You've refined us. Now, I want you to notice that almost all the terms that are used in verses 10 through 12... Um, describes something that's very painful. You've, you've tried us. You've refined us. you brought us into a net. You've laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. And then in verse 12, you've made men ride over our heads. All of these difficult, painful experiences. You have tried us, O oh God. Now, um, with that passage, you have tried us. Proverbs 17, verse 3. Proverbs 17, for 3. Um, I'm trying to remember the exact words of that. Uh, the furnace is for silver, crucible for gold, but the Lord tries hard. Does someone have that? Right away, Proverbs 17, 3. You want to read that? It says the refining pot is for silver and the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. Okay, the refining pot for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests hearts. Now, I remember uh, hearing a teacher speak of going to Colorado and there was a uh, place that refined gold. And he said, he went and he says, you put these dirty looking rocks into this fire and they heated to a thousand degrees and nothing happened. And 2,000 and 3,000. But when it reaches 4,000, he said it looks like gold just starts popping out at you. What's happened is the worthless, dirty portion had been melted away. And now you can see the gold, the gold that was there underneath all of this. And that is a picture that's used in Proverbs 17, 3, that's used in this passage, that's used in the Old Testament, that's used in the New Testament to describe our relationship with God. God puts us in the fire 
to refine us as silver is refined. Sometimes in going through affliction or going through difficulty, it manifests sin in our lives or sometimes not so much sin, but it helps us learn to depend and trust in God. And God refined us as silver is refined. He said, you brought us into the net. Now this particular word for net is used 25 times in the Old Testament. Sometimes it's translated stronghold. Sometimes it's translated a fortress. Here it's translated net. But the idea is you called us in some way. Notice he attributes all these things to God. God tried us. God refined us. God brought us into the net. In verse 11, God laid an oppressive burden upon our loins. And you can tell me if that's translated differently in your version. Because that's a word that's used only here in the Old Testament. And since we depend so much on other uses of the word to see what it means, it's hard to know what it means. You've laid an oppressive burden upon our loins, some upon our backs. And you have made men ride over us. What does that mean? You've made men ride over us or ride over our heads. What does that mean? Christy, you look like you had an answer. No, I just saw her shaking her head that she had no answer. And I was just uh, seeking to put her on the spot at the moment. But if any of you, John, you have an idea. being put into subjection. Okay, it could be. It could be that idea. I'm hoping for a good answer because I don't have an answer. Uh, he made people ride over our heads. Did the Egyptians ride over them before? Well, then were they slaves to the Egyptians? They were slaves. They were mistreated. Um, I don't know. I think this particular imagery, this exact imagery, it's only used here. So that makes it a little unique. Gary, did you have a thought? I'm thinking we're, we're just completely and totally overwhelmed and run over with problems. Yeah. We're overwhelmed. We're run over. Uh, subjection. It, one writer says the image of an enemy riding over our heads is not used elsewhere. But it communicates dominance. Now, who is the one who calls them to be in Egyptian bondage? Who is the one who will later cause them to be in Babylonian captivity? God made man right over our heads. In each of these instances, God is the one who tried them. God is the one who refined them. God is the one who put them in the net and laid the burden upon them and made men right over their heads. But he says, we went through the fire and through the water and you brought us into a place of abundance. Do you remember what Isaiah 43 verse 2 says? It goes a little bit beyond this. Isaiah 43 verse 2. It talks about... You will lead us to the fire and lead us to the water. Um, well, we'll have to ask somebody. Christy, you got it? 
Okay. That promise is more than here. This just simply says, we went through the fire and through the water. But again, and you can correct me if I mistake this, you see. We go through the water, he will be with us. We go through the fire, he will not allow us. So God blesses us, and ultimately, God puts us through the fire to bring us into a place of abundance. And the word for abundance here is the same word that's used in Psalm 23, 5, when the Bible says, my cup runs over, runs over. John, a second ago, you raise your hand up. Lydia found a reference in Isaiah 51 at the end of that chapter, and he, he addresses those who are afflicted, and he talks about the the chalice of God's anger, he says, I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, lie down that we may walk over you. You have even made your back like the ground and like the street for those who walk over it. Yes. Is that around verse 23? It is. Okay. But in Isaiah 51, it seems to have been a practice when a people were defeated in battle. One of the things, once sometimes you, you, like in Joshua 10, you have the enemy set and you put your feet upon their mountains. You remember that passage? That's referred to uh, the last enemy under his feet will be death. Or sometimes you made them lie down and walk across their back. As John was pointing out there from Isaiah. But all of these are ways similar to what we were saying about making men ride over our heads. All of these are ways of saying that they're subjected to them. They're humility before them. They're brought down before them. Okay. What else do you see on 8 through 12? What other ideas do you have? I couldn't help but think Yes. They literally were put through the fire and he would not allow the flames have scorched them. Uh, yes. What else? Well, it, it was you pointed out it was God who appeared and at the end of twelve points out it is God who Yes, absolutely. The same God who afflicted them is also the one who delivers them. And as a result of this, he is going to pay his vows to God in verses 13 through 15. I shall come into your house with burnt offerings. I shall pay you my vows, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke when I was in distress. I shall offer to you burnt offerings of fat beasts with the smoke of rams I shall make an offering of bulls with male goats. Selah. So I will come into your house with burnt offerings and pay my vows. Now, there have been references to paying vows, fulfilling vows, quite frequently uh, in the Psalms and quite frequently in some of these Psalms that we've covered recently. Look back in 60. 
61 verse 8 in 61 verse 8 so I will sing praise to your name forever that I may pay my vows day by day also in Psalm 65 1 there will be silence before you in praise in Zion O God and to you the vow will be performed so when we make a vow in time of distress, <coughs> we make a vow in time of distress, when we're in a time of difficulty, and when we, it's time, that when God fulfills his promise, we always must be faithful in keeping the vow. Let me tell you a story you're familiar with. Jacob's brother says, when my father's dead, I'm going to kill Jacob. Esau says that about Jacob. Jacob is sent away from home and he has basically nothing except his staff. He is lying there with a pillow, a stone as his pillow, which we sing about in one of our songs. Um, he had a and Zoah, how does it, how does it go with the song? And like the prophet, my pillow is stone. That's, that's the line I'm looking for. And God repealed to, spoke to him in a dream. And he sees a ladder or some means of connecting heaven and earth. He sees the angels ascending and descending. And he says, I'm going to be with you. And I'm going to bless you. And I'm going to bless your descendants. And I'm going to give them all this land. Jacob wakes up and says, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. And he takes oil and he anoints that rock on which he was. And he says, this place will be called Bethel. And Bethel means house of God. And he says, if you bring me back to this place, I will surely give a tent to you. And this place will be your house. When Jacob comes back, God has to push him to keep his vow. In Genesis 35, God says, Go back to Bethel and keep your vow that you made to me when you were departing from your brother Esau. Let's not be ones who have to be pushed, coerced to keep our word. But we make a promise in times of distress of faithfulness to God that we will do it. Now, in these times that often involved publicly expressing what God had done for you, look in verse 14, which my lips uttered and my mouth spoke while I was in distress. My lips uttered, my mouth spoke. You tell of all God did for you. And also it involved offering sacrifices. A burnt offering in verse 13. A burnt offering in verse 15. Uh, it, it involved offering bulls and male goats in verse 15. It involved offering a sacrifice as well. Expressing your praise with your mouth and offering animals as a sacrifice to God. But it's emphasizing that we must be faithful in keeping those vows and promises. Now, the amount of sacrifices he mentions, he mentions a, 
burnt offering in verse 13. Then he says vows, votive was considered a peace offering with the different kinds of animals he mentioned. This truly indicates a great distress and a deep thanksgiving. In verse 16, come and hear all who fear God. Then I will tell of what he has done for me, for my soul. I cried to him with my mouth, and he has extolled me with my tongue. If I regard wickedness in my heart, the Lord will not hear. But certainly God has heard. He has given heed to the voice of my prayer. Blessed be the God who has not turned away my prayer, nor his loving kindness from me. One of the things I wanted you to look at is just ways that this first portion of the psalm in verses 1 through 12 connects with the latter part of the psalm in verses 13 through 20. And let's just notice a few. The phrase was said, come, come and see in 66 verse 5 in that first portion. But now in the latter portion of the psalm, come and hear in 66 and verse 16. In verse 5, come and see the works of God who is awesome in his deeds for man. In verse, in verse 16, come and hear, come and hear all who fear God and I will tell of what he has done. It speaks of God's awesome deeds in 66.5. It speaks of what he has done in 66.16. By the way, we could also make another connection. The word awesome is from the same root, same root word used in 66.16, translated fear, fear God. So the word also used in verse 3 and in verse 5 is from the same root word translated fear in verse 16. Yet another connection. And then you find in verse 8, Bless our God, O peoples, sound his praise abroad. And then in verse 20, blessed be God. So, bless God in 66.8. And then bless, blessed be God in 66.20. Now, Verses 1 through 12, as I said, was a community thanksgiving. It uses first-person plural terms. We, us, our. He uses that. The last is an individual thanksgiving. It uses first-person singular terms. I and me. But I think what this psalm does, he looks at what God has done for the nation and then he looks at his experiences of how God has done the same things for him personally. Just as God blessed the nation 
in drying up the waters of the Red Sea and letting Israel cross over on dry land. As God dried up the waters of the Jordan and let Israel cross over into the promised land. So, as God has done that for the nation, God has done similar things in his life. May we put the things that God has done for us in the big perspective of his saving acts throughout history. And when we doubt the goodness of God in our own life, look at what he has done in the history of his people. Yes, Gary? And even now in our lives, I've been through some fiery trials when I was a younger Christian. That, you know, I was just really sweating. How, how am I going to get through this? But then as you get older, you look in hindsight, you say, God brought me through that. He brought me through this. He brought me through that. So it strengthens your faith as you get older. Yeah. So yes. the difficulty for young people is to have that faith in the beginning to say, I have never been through anything like this, but I know God will bring me through it. Yes. It is difficult. And each new trial brings with it its own difficulties. But you're right. I really believe we see over time how much God has delivered us from. And it does help build confidence he will deliver us again. I can remember a person saying this to me um, when I was 19 years old and uh, in a small town in North Carolina uh, preaching for a little while. And... uh, really didn't know too much about life but he was talking about his own life and his own finances and he says I really feel sorry for young people who don't have enough money to make ends meet and they, they always wonder how they're going to get by he says now at my age I've realized even when that is the situation somehow some way you always survive and he was saying the same kind of thing in a financial way that you're saying in a spiritual way. That going through the experience and living through the experience is a reminder of what God continues to do with us time after time. And every deliverance that God has brought to us in the past can be an assurance that he will bless us in the present and in the future. Another thing that struck me about these verses, in verses, particularly this is verses 16 through 20, is the emphasis on the word here. It is used three times, and these were the different points. First of all, he has stated in 66, 19, that the Lord heard his prayer. The Lord heard his prayer. In 6619, certainly God has heard and has given heed to my prayer. God has heard. But he states in verse 18, if I regard iniquity, the Lord, and he doesn't actually say, uh, well he doesn't say the word Lord all capitals. He uses a word Adonai in Hebrew he says the Lord will not hear if I regard iniquity in my heart if I look upon evil 
in a favorable way, then he will not hear. Now, all of us know that God is gracious. We must know he is gracious and merciful and will forgive us. Look in Psalm 65 verse 3. Iniquities prevail against me. As for our transgressions, you forgive them. God's forgiveness is abundant. Well, why doesn't he stress that here? The idea seems to be the word regard wickedness is actually the word, word regard is actually the word see in Hebrew. But to see wickedness seems to be to look upon it in a way to favor it and even maybe to gloat over it. It is the one who confesses and forsakes his sin who will be forgiven. Proverbs 28, 13. But the one who regards it in his house, in his heart, the Lord will not hear. The Lord heard my prayer. The Lord does not hear the one who regards iniquity. So the word heard is used of God hearing our prayer, of the one whose prayer God will not hear. And then it's used in verse 16 to the audience as they are directed to come and hear the works of of God. Hear all that God has done. But God has not turned away my prayer and God has not turned away his loving kindness. The longer the psalm, the greater the difficulty in covering it thoroughly. And there's some things I could have said better. But what other thoughts do you have there, David? In verse 18, where it says, if I regard wickedness, the ESV translates that with regard. Yes, cherish. Yeah, which seems a stronger. It is a stronger word. One of the things I was reading, and this is not, to, not a criticism for bringing it up. One of these, the, the, the commentaries said he thought it went too far, that that word cherish did. But at the same time, Another time you see the word see used like this, David, is um, one person compared Psalm 22, 17. And in that passage, it says, I count all my bones. They look, they see, they stare at me. It was like they're looking at him in disdain and looking at him um, even gloating over what is happening to him. So um, it may carry with it the idea of certainly of staring and gloating over something in, in, a, in a wrong way. So I'm not, I don't know if Cherish goes too far. One writer did. But if not, that's, there's a pretty close concept there. It's, it's certainly not trying to turn from sin. Anything else? It is interesting to see times, and the Bible talks about certain times when um, God doesn't hear prayer. I, 
I think sometimes, I heard personally, a person who was very helpful to me uh, in the early years of my life, and he would just often say, um, God never hears the non-Christian's prayer. I know why they were guarding against that. They were guarding against that because of the mourner's bench kind of idea of salvation and the, the uh, just say the sinner's prayer idea of salvation. That that's what a person did to be right with God. But you really got a difficulty with that when God says to Cornelius, your prayer's heard. I mean, you've you got a, a problem. I think that you see God responded to Cornelius' prayer. He responded, though, not by saving him in response to prayer, but by sending Peter to tell him words whereby he might be saved. And, and so I understand why that was done, but I see the limits of it. But still, there are limits. The Bible does say in certain kinds of circumstances, and your heart is hard and contentious, he, he won't hear. I think the key to that is people that are searching, God says yeah. he will open the door. He yeah. will help you find him. Yes, yes. That, that, I, I think so. And, and I think you see examples of that other times in the Bible. In the Old Testament, did God hear the people prayer of the people of Nineveh? When they repented in Jonah 3. I mean, that's a pretty good illustration of that. But what else? What else do you see or hear here from Psalm 66, John? Is uh, verse 8 where he refers to the peoples, is that meant to be, uh, is that meant to be perhaps those outside of Israel? It seems like it to me, yes. Uh, and that is a term that is usually used, let me see, no, um, that it, it's sometimes used for people outside of Israel, but the word in, the, in when it says in verse before it, God keeps an eye on the nations, that particularly is a word that is usually used of nations outside of Israel. And uh, what God is doing with Israel, to Israel, and through Israel is intended to reach the whole world. As God told Abraham when he called him, you're going to be a blessing. Through you, all nations of the earth will be blessed. And so God was teaching all nations about who he was and what it meant to be his servant through Israel. Okay? What else? Anything Okay, we get to the end, and we talk about how Jesus fulfills this psalm. Now, I'm gonna, we have written a lot on the board, and I am going to be dependent on some of your ideas here. How does Jesus fulfill Psalm 66? Uh, what we're, one of the things we're trying to do Sunday night in the sermon we got 66 books of the Bible ultimately they're one book all comes together that's one book and that's one of the things we're doing here how do we see Jesus in Psalm 66 
Well, we talked about in verses 3 and 5 the word awesome and certainly the reactions that people had to what Jesus did and his miracles and even okay. the things that he said mm-hmm. it, people were astonished they were amazed uh, and so when I see that here that reminds me of Jesus okay you stand in awe of God's awesome words I said words I meant to say works and you do see that in the miracles I think you see that even when Jesus stood before Pilate and he answers Pilate nothing and Pilate is amazed. You see it on his trial, you see it in his crucifixion. As the centurion says, surely this man was the son of God. Okay. All of a sudden, forgot how to spell it. Deborah. In verse five, it's probably because they've been using this phrase with the chosen so much to come and see, um, and so that reminds me of that conversation between um, Nathaniel and Philip. Okay. Come and see. So okay. Well, that's a good point. Good point. Come and see. We have found him of whom Moses spoke in the prophets, Jesus of Nazareth. Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? And he says, "Come and see." Good. What else, Bob? Might be a little bit of a reach, but in verse 4, it made me think of uh, John 12, 39. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all men to me. We see this uh, idea of, uh, of, of perhaps worship there. In other words, the, the, yes. the, the surrender of lives. Yes. In that. Yes, so, that's right. And those words came out of his mouth. Yes, yes. And, and you know, also the rebellious are taught in verse 7 not to exalt themselves. It seems like there is some, there's some translation that uses in verse 3 or 4 the phrase exalt God. Uh, do, do any of your translations have that? Am I just imagining that? Seem like that, but that ties in. But, but yes, as, as uh, Bob is saying, the language about him being praised him being exalted, him being lifted up. Certainly, uh, we see um, Jesus being praised and lifted up. Um, Worthy is the Lamb who has taken the book and to break its seals and who has washed us in the blood of his Lamb, among other passages. Did you mention another New Testament passage there, Bob? No. Okay, okay. Okay, okay, John. Okay. And I've got another passage. We've held his glory, yes. I see you. Okay, I see what you're saying. Go, go ahead. Uh, at the triumphal entry of Jesus in Luke 19, where the Pharisees mm-hmm. tell, say, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And Jesus responds, I tell you, if these become silent, the stones will cry out. Yes, that's right. That's right. The stones will cry out. That's 1232, not 39 months. Okay. Well, it, yeah, that, that talks about him being exalted. 
But it also talks about showing his glory in verse 39 and 40 of John 2. And that would be like seeing the glory of his name. Okay. Boy. Uh, uh, verse 15 reminds me of Psalm 22. Those offerings, I understand, are holy God work. There was no part of those for the worshipers that indicated total dedication. Uh, Okay. Okay, and Jesus is compared um, to a burnt offering. The burnt offering is the kind of offering you were describing there, Boyd, where nothing was left for the worshiper. It was all consumed on the altar. Jesus is spoken of in that way in Hebrews 10, 5 through 10, in Hebrews 13, verses 11 through 14. John, I, I think I saw your hand Russ. I'm back on that opening section of the song. Uh, Luke 2 at Jesus' birth and the appearance of the angel okay. and the shepherds. And uh, they talk about the, okay. the great joy which shall be for all the people. And later when uh, uh, Simeon Yeah, that's that's good. That is good. I thought it, Brad, did, did you ever thought of you scratch? Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and okay. also, you know, about all the earth worshiping. You know, Philippians two. Yes. Verse ten, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Those yeah. are in heaven, on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that. Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Yes, I, I, that's right. We, we talked about whether that was willingly or unwillingly a little bit with that word feigned obedience, but there all will bow. All will be brought down to their knees. Um, We have, yes, we want to do it before it is too late, uh, before it's just simply a compulsion. Um, one writer said that the Septuagint and the Vulgate have this psalm, and I would think a lot of psalms would fit this title better than this psalm, but that this is a psalm of the resurrection. And... Uh, the, the idea was particularly tied to verses 8 through 12 in God bringing us out of a place of oppression and a burden and bringing us to a place of abundance. It seems like that idea was closely tied with, with, this, with, with this section of the psalm. And, and I would say that this is not just of this is not so much of Christ, but of the followers of Christ. When the Bible talks about being refined as silver and being refined as gold in sixty six ten, that's the same thing First Peter says about our trial as Christians. 
Now, I want to tell you. I stand in awe, and I mean that in an amazing sense, to some degree at these early Christians. Whose trial consisted of a lot more than my trials have consisted of, and your trials have consisted of. They knew they were going to give their lives for Jesus Christ. Not, not all of them, but, but some of them. And they continued to serve him. And he emphasizes that if you bear with him in this suffering for a little time, you will receive eternal glory. This life is for a moment. May we remember to keep our eyes on eternity. Anything else that you all see? Emory? Okay. The Bible does say, Hebrews 5, 7, he was heard, but he did turn away in a sense that his prayer, uh, his prayer, let not this, let this cup pass from me, was not answered in the way he prayed it. So I understand your answer there about um, his, about prayer. His prayer seems to have been answered more as he prayed it than Jesus' prayer. Okay. Yes, John. Uh, that verse 16, come and hear all who fear God, and I will tell of what he has done for my soul. Uh, Maybe think of the, the demon-possessed man in the Gerasenes. Ooh, that yeah. Jesus told him to return home and tell how much God has done for you. So yeah. the man went away and told all over the town how much Jesus had done for him. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Well, you know, I'll tell you how uh, you know when, for example, your, your kids are doing pretty well. You know, you tried to uh, teach them certain points about the Bible, and then after a while, you're looking to them for advice. That's you know, you're doing pretty well. You, they've they've excelled, and y'all had a lot better ideas tonight than I did. Christy, make sure they take a picture of that. I can <laughs> write all that down later. So don't erase that. Don't erase that. Elisha's not here, so maybe nobody will run erase it <laughs> real fast right after services. But, um, but, um, but you all have done very well with that. So thank you. Thank you for that. And um, Brad, you have a song for us? And um, before, we, before we do that, let's, um, let's have a prayer. And um, who, would, who would like to lead us? Bob?
are beyond words for us to describe you. Your love is uh, resplendent and abundant. And Heavenly Father, we, we are just humbled at your great care for us and love for us. Uh, thank you, God, for uh, this word that guides us and helps us see you the way you want us to be seeing you. And helps us, Father, to uh, polish our lives, to uh, glorify you, and to be all we can be uh, before the eyes and ears of other people, sharing with them uh, your great mercy and your grace and your plan uh, to have everyone who would be with you uh, around your footstool, God. Help us uh, to be busy doing that always, Father. Thank you for our time together. It's in Christ we pray. Amen. Brandon, you want to do this? Yes, I will. Okay. Yeah. I'll, I'll help you pass those. I'll help you. Alright, I um, noticed one mistake on the uh, verse 6. Um, I divided the words wrong there. Um, second line, let not the proud rebellious ones exalt themselves on high. Exalt should be two syllables. Themselves is two syllables. I split it incorrectly there. So uh, just look at the words and don't um, focus on the <laughs> where it hits. So. Um, so my mistake it shouldn't be too big of a deal as we roll through that so let's uh, sing verses 1 through 7 to the tune of how shall the young secure their hearts do me so all thanks to God in joyful sounds all of your voices raise sing forth in constrained to Oh, come behold the works of God. He 
mighty doing see and dealing with the sons of men most terrible is he So they are pathway high. They through the river went on foot. There we in him work right. The way in him work Try. Let not the proud rebellious ones exalt themselves on high. Exalt themselves on high. And on the reverse, verses 8 through 20. To the tune of I Sing the Mighty Power of God. No soul, O all ye people, bless our God, all thou proclaim his praise, who hold us safe, our soul in life, our feet from sliding stays for thou O God hast set us as silver is refined didst take us in a net on us the heavy loaded spine thou made us men right To share about just place and last I'll bring my offerings to thy house to thee my vows will pay as I gave promise with my lips when trouble on me Sacrifice of fat and beast with smoke of rams I'll take, and from the bullocks and the goats to the offering name. Oh, yet a fair come and hear what God did for. to him my tongue did him excess. 
song. If in my heart I sin, regard the Lord will never care. But surely God has heard my voice, He to my Oh